Welcome back to Rockstock Channel. It is Sunday, October 15th. Uh, we have a Will Adams from Fast Markets, which uh, was recorded by Rodney and Will last Friday on the back of uh, the conclusion of LME Week. I was not in that video as uh, I, I got sick, uh, but I just wanted to flag Will is, um, I don't know, is a fourth or fifth time coming on the podcast. He was one of the earliest uh, um, interviewers that we did back in 2019 when we launched Lithium Ion Rocks. And he was uh, very right in 2018, 2019, um, you know, being fairly bearish. I remember I listened ahead of that podcast to a 2019 interview we did with him, uh, which was Rolling Stones themed. And, and that's of relevance because uh, Rolling Stones are, uh, you know, coming out with their first new album in 18 years, uh, Hackney Diamonds, this week, October 20th. Strongly encourage all of you to listen to that. Uh, so it inspired uh, a Rockstock channel or Lithium Ion Rocks narrative back then, and it is inspiring an upcoming narrative uh, in the Lithium Bowl, which will be coming out later this week. And, and again, that's been a little bit delayed because I had a, a short illness. Um, but I'm fine. Uh, thanks for caring. Uh, uh, thoughts and prayers, by the way, out there to all of my friends uh, in, in Israel. Uh, terrible events uh, happening uh, in the world, which are influencing uh, a lot of discourse, um, you know, out there. But uh, I just want to remind you, uh, again, this is a very good interview. Uh, Will Adams is actually a bit more upbeat uh, uh, in the near term than he was, you know, three, four years ago when he was expecting prices to continue to fall. And he was, he was right then. Um, and I think he's, he's right now. Uh, in advance of the uh, lithium bull coming out. Just want to remind you, please register your email at rkequity.com if you don't already get the lithium ion bull directly. And uh, if you like this video, please like, subscribe, comment, click the notification bell, and uh, make sure to tune into some other recent videos we did with uh, Pilbara's Dale Henderson, Jonathan Buick at Champion Electric Metals, and, um, and follow Rodney and me on Twitter. X, sorry, at Rodney Hooper 13, at Lithium Ion Bull, and at Lithium Ion Rocks. And finally, uh, we did a Twitter Spaces uh, with Jordan Gisigi that's not currently listed on a Rockstock YouTube page. But uh, if you follow me on, uh, on X, just uh, look uh, last week at that you know, very popular um, uh, commentary. And, and Jordan uh, published the, the fifth and the final uh, chapter of his lithium, you know, uh, two hour lithium video where he's arguing that Tesla's 50% growth expectation of, of EVs per year is at risk uh, due to lithium supply. So would encourage you to, to look at all that. And with that, I'll stop the intro and uh, take it away, Rodney and Will. We are welcoming back Will Adams, who's been on... Uh on the channel a few times. Will, how many is it? Two or three at least? Yeah, I think it's three times. That's good. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I don't know, we always seem to time it when we're heading, we're coming out of or going into tough times, but uh, I'm hoping you've got some upbeat uh, commentary for us today because it feels like uh, we've all been caught out a bit um, when I've looked back is I think the um, build up in inventory at the end of last year and the sort of undersupply and push in prices 
has had a longer lasting effect than I thought it would. What What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think what we've got is a um, we're in the sort of the aftermath of that supply response that we saw last year, second half of last year, when we saw an increase in uh, DSO shipments, we saw lipidolite in China, um, and that that sort of increase in supply has coincided with weaker, um, probably than expected, demand. But I think demand is actually uh, relatively strong. It's just weaker compared with the sort of the gains we were seeing um, last year. So I think the market has the sort of production side has geared up and increased more capacity. Um, and uh, to counter for even stronger growth than we're currently seeing. Uh, and that's meant that we've got had a buildup of in inventory um, over the last six months. Um, and we're in the sort of the process of um, that it's sort of working through that inventory. Um, and it's the inventories, I think, shifted from uh, down from the sort of midstream, more upstream. Um, but we also have quite a lot of inventory at the EV level. Um, even though car sales are good, um, you can see the um, uh, the uh, quite a buildup of inventory at the OEMs, but also at the uh, dealerships as well in China, uh, and that's um, been another factor as well. So, yeah, we just we're at the moment we're starting to see some production cutbacks uh, in sort of lipidolite in China. So that's the, the process is starting to correct itself, um, but at the moment we are yeah we are, prices are, are weak. Before we start today's video, we'd like to thank Lithium Royalty Corp, listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange, ticker symbol LIRC. We'll share more later in the video. If I were to ask you um, in terms of how would you apportion the inventory that's left between downstream EV, battery cell, cathode and, and upstream, how would you, where would you say the, the sort of biggest bottleneck is? Where the inventory is the lowest, let's start it that way, is at the cathode manufacturers. And I think you've almost got a U-shape. Um, you've got upstream, you've got at the processors, you've got inventory. Um, you've got, it, it's quite lean in the, at the cam manufacturers, they have destocked. And I think we're talking their stocks of two or three days rather than weeks. Um, whereas in the uh, OEMs and the in China, the OEMs and the dealerships, you've probably got uh, a month's worth. Of, you've got something like 600,000 units of EVs. So that needs that's higher than it, it should be. Um, so I think you're and I think one of the reasons for that is China itself. One of the big drawbacks or headwinds we've had all year across the commodities is China has not bounced back as fast as it it. Um, was expected to after um, relaxing its um, COVID um, lockdown rules last year. Uh, you look at the housing market in China, the property market in China, um, a lot of household wealth feeling is tied into those property markets, uh, into the prices. If they're down, then they're probably holding back um, on spending on high ticket items like EVs. I think that for one of the Probably not quite the first time, but the economic cycle is having a bigger impact on the EV market, on the lithium, on the battery market this time around than I think it has in previous sort of economic cycles. Well, I would say one thing, Will, when I look at wholesale numbers versus retail numbers in the Chinese EV market, they look to be not too bad. It looks pretty healthy. Yeah. So you're looking at, you've got, I think, um, January, September, you've got 30% growth yeah, in EVs. Um, 
But last in the same period, well, over the whole of last year, it was ninety six percent. So if you saw if you were if people were gearing up for another very strong year and they've built more capacity and they've been pushing um, utilization rates as well, um, then that's why the stock has built up because thirty percent growth is fantastic, but it's obviously not as strong as it was. So there's that sort of expectation. It's a relatively slower growth it's still very good growth and we're seeing really strong growth um you know in the us as well and in europe so i, I don't think it's a demand it's you know demand is growing it's moving in the right direction it's just not as fast as in china it's not as fast as it was and i think that sort of uh, damaged sentiment to some extent and caused some sort of build up in inventories yeah, look, I'll be honest, and uh, we, we get to this now, Will. If I look at EV sales growth and then I look at gigawatt hours deployed linked to that EV sales growth, the gigawatt hours is good. It's in the upper 40s, my numbers, and looking at the data. So I don't see demand as a disappointment. ESS looks to me to be solid. That's We'll see how it ends the year. So for me, I guess I'm pointing a finger a little bit at very high prices of lithium and then suddenly seeing production coming out of areas i didn't expect nigeria more out of zim etc and I, I guess i tweeted about this the other day for me the canary in the coal mine is when you can ship one percent material dso around the world and make money then trouble's coming because you don't need as much in terms of mine planning and you can dig that stuff up and you can ship it pretty quickly so, uh, to me, that's a risk that you're nearing a top when that stuff starts moving around the world. But uh, your thoughts on, um, I mean, I'm hearing even Angola, I mean, there's, you know, there's also Ethiopia, your thoughts on all of this uh, material production popping up in Africa? Yeah, so and I think you're exactly, absolutely right. We're aligned on that. We did see that big um, increase, that big supply response last year. But then we were talking with prices at $60 or $70 or $80 a kilogram, yeah? We're a lot lower than that now. We're in the sort of the mid-20s um, or below. And um, so that's going to make some of that material now, those sort of DSO materials, less attractive, yeah? We're already seeing um, some supply response on the down, on the on cutbacks um, at in China with the Lepidolite um, operations closing, coming uh, uh, some either cutting back or stopping. Um, we're seeing some more announcements of um, um, processes going into sort of um, putting on care and maintenance as well. So there is a, a tightening up on the supply side now, which is part of this process of balancing the market. Um, I think wherever you, we've often said, you can never underestimate the Chinese. And I think what we've seen in the last um, year is very much that they have, they managed to uh, suck lithium units out of uh, into the market, uh, which took people by surprise. And we're in the aftermath of that. We're living with that now. But it's, it's, you know, the correction um, is starting to happen. Um, we think, you know, now because we're starting to see those cutbacks, um, we think the price falls will start to decline. Or the, the price falls will start to level out now. Uh, if anything, we're expecting a bit of a rebound um, in into the final um, months of the year. Um, we're already, it's, we saw it this week, we've seen a slight pickup in, uh, in our spot Chinese prices. Um, 
and that's that's big that probably it's seasonally a strong time anyway um i think you've had the low price we don't we do know the market is very destocked at the sort of the cam air level um you know you could only destock for so long um and as you say the end the numbers the growth numbers the gigawatt hour numbers are still looking quite impressive so that will mean that people will come back into the market even if you're moving from destocking to hand-to-mouth buying um then you know that's an that sees apparent demand increase and if prices start to move up then you're likely to restock it you'll see restocking as well because people want to lock in these low prices before they do move up and one of the factors of the market is because it is fairly illiquid um you do get some fast price moves and that does mean that these swings from destocking to restocking uh can be quite energetic um, so, yeah, I think, you know, towards the end of the year, uh, again, from now onwards, we do, uh, we are a bit more bullish on the price. Um, we don't think we're going to go back to where we've come from, um, but we do think we'll see prices get some lift. Yeah, so that leads on to a, a couple of, of questions to chat about and things to chat about. So if you look at the Guangzhou futures, they've rallied and the nearer futures, the January future is sort of bounced and it's now higher than spot for a change. The longer dated is still at a discount. I'm struggling to figure that out because that is well below the marginal cost of production. Those futures are trading at, they're trading at sub 20,000. You take VAT off, it's even lower. So I'm not sure who can sell material at that price. So I guess the one thing I'm wondering, uh, Will, is the Guangzhou futures physically settled? So You've now got, uh, you know, some pressure as you're coming to um, to expiry and you've had these maintenance cutbacks and you've had stuff coming online, offline. September carbonate production in China was lower than August and October's forecast to be lower than September. So could we see a bit of a pinch here as people have to deliver into those futures and there's no physical to do so? Um, I still think there is the... Um... There, there is inventory up in the at the sort of the um, processors level, so I think there is material to to still to be destocked from upstream. Uh, so that material could be um, um, delivered. But I think you're also the other point is, which is a sort of a, a um, supporting measure, is as we go into um, the winter months in China, we'll start seeing the sort of the brine operations start to um, their uh, operating rates will start to fall. Uh, so that's another sort of supporting factor as well. Um, yeah, and so that's on the supply side and on, on the demand side. Traditionally, the October or even September through to the end of the year are strong sort of periods for EVs. And if we see that repeat itself. Um, then we'll start to see some of that um, OEM uh, and dealership inventory come down. So they will be more inclined to uh, boost production. And, and you'll see that sort of demand moving back up the supply chain more. Um, but I think at the moment, as I said, you know, it is the CAM manufacturers that, you know, are running with really tight uh, stocks at the moment, living very much hand to mouth. Um, so as soon as they start to get uh, pick up in orders, uh, then that should feed through into the uh, upstream. And, you because know, one thing I notice is on the way down, guys sell quickly and upstream. And then on the way up, they tend to hold back and squeeze everyone. So it's quite, it is a bit of a sort of a, there is a strategy and a play the way uh, the guys seem to do it. So I think you're right. I think as they restock, you might find they're not as quick to sell because they've, the margins look to be extremely tight at the moment. 
you can only be bidding on spodumen in the upper teens to vaguely make a living with where, where spot is now. Yeah, the actual outright spodumen price is still, you know, relatively high. Um, obviously, it's come down quickly. But if you think where, you know, the lithium carbonate spot prices are in China um, at around sort of 165 um, RMB per tonne, back in 2018, when they were, that was almost, we were just coming off the top of the market then, um, they were around that sort of level back then. Uh, at that time, you had spodumen at $900 um a, um, a ton obviously it went a lot lower over the, the preceding years um but so if you've got the sort of the lithium carbonate prices are at a similar level from where they were back in sort of early 2018 but you've got 900 back then and now you've got 2000 uh, 2150 i think our last sort of spodumin uh, spot price so it's an that's leads to an interesting question um if you've got new production coming on stream, how do you see the split in margins across the uh, production line these days? It's all with the miner. Do you see the converters gaining some power back as more comes online? Or do you think these initiatives to keep Spodumen outside of China and do midstream and downstream elsewhere is going to be enough to, to keep to keep them at bay? Or do you think the the balance of power is going to shift back again to Chinese converters. Yeah, I think the, I think it's going to be it's going to remain fluid. Um, so I think right now, I think the converters in China you've seen a rapid sort of fall. So if you look at sort of what spodumen prices were at the end of August, um, I think they were around uh, three thousand two hundred and fifty sort of dollars. Um, so we've fallen back. We've fallen down to two thousand one hundred and fifty over a period of sort of six weeks or so. Um, I think that's happened. You haven't seen that sort of a fall on a percentage basis in the um, the Chinese sort of prices. Um, so you've seen the sort of the um, the Chinese converters have had a bit more margin because of the weak, the weaker spot, the fall in the spot bin prices. <laughs> when prices go up again, um, again, you'll see um, the, the converters will probably have a build up a bit more of a margin because the uh, the salt prices will probably move faster uh, than the spodumin price to start with, I think. Um, so, yeah, you'll see a bit more of that. Longer term, yeah, I do think. I think we are going to see more of the Australian spodumin um, being converted uh, in Europe and in, in North America. Um, so that will um, that w that will be a, an issue for the Chinese. And I think you know, that's one of the reasons. I think they saw the writing on the wall probably a year ago, 18 months ago, um, and that's why they've developed their own domestic lipidolite of um, mining. I think that's why they've gone really heavily into Africa as well. Um, they do see that sort of their where their traditional suppliers come from, say in Australia, that is going to be diluted. They're not going to have there's going to be more competition for that material, um, and therefore they won't be able to rely on that so much. Um, and then you've also got the, all the sort of the um, geopolitical uh, side of things as well. Um, I think that's another sort of factor which is going to cause more. Um, diversification. So Australian, I do expect more Australian supply to go to Europe and to uh, US as well. Jumping in here from the editing room to tell you about Lithium Royalty Corp. Lithium Royalty Corp is at the center of a global energy transition and manages a globally diversified portfolio of lithium-focused royalties in electrification and decarbonization. With 32 royalties on 29 higher-grade, lower-cost projects, 
From exploration to production, LIRC covers all the bases with well-managed risk, ESG considerations, and a scalable royalty structure. Lithium Royalty Corp. is traded on the Toronto Stock Exchange ticker symbol LIRC. To find out more, visit lithiumroyaltycorp.com. And, um, Will, do you think, given what we saw as a response last time and these new areas coming out with production, do you think we're going to see lower highs in terms of price spikes going forward? Are we going to see CME futures trading? I noticed the open interest has almost doubled in the last two months, and you see what's happening in the Chinese futures Um and there's also not that it's on an exchange, but I know quite a lot of spodumen trades. Uh, are we seeing more hedging mechanisms coming in, and we seeing more supply channels opening up that we're going to see a tighter band in, in pricing going forward? Yeah. So answer your first question. Yeah, I think we will see uh, lower highs. Um, there is a more and more interest in being able to hedge, um, as you said. I think the um, the open interest now on the hydroxide contract on the CME uh, is um, seven, seven, seven and a half, uh, yeah, about 7,800 or something lots. So that's picked up. You're often seeing volume. I think volume across September was generally over 100 lots a day. Um, I think it's had a peak of sort of 100, uh, 520 or something. Um, so there is interest there and certainly more talk during the LME week, which, which was uh, which was um, this week, earlier on this week. Um, there's more interest in that as well. Um, and I, we, it is early days still, we, we, but we do expect more liquidity uh, as that comes and that will give more hedging opportunities as well. Um, still think market's going to be prices and market will be volatile. Um, so it is, um, lithium is... A relatively small market, which is going to have to go very fast in a short space of time. There are a lot of moving parts in it. There's a lot. We're going to rely on a lot of new production um, from junior miners. There's a lot of things that can delay those startups. Um, but uh, likewise, we said we've already seen um, we've seen sort of producers coming on um, from a bigger, diverse area. So we've seen a lot more in Africa. Um, and we should expect a sort of a more, we see in Brazil as well. But yeah, a lot of moving parts in it. So it's certainly going to remain volatile. You know, Will, how do you see, I'm, I'm seeing reports coming out about where Africa could sit on the supply uh, curve and how much it could produce. Do you think that uh, the prognosis and the, the sort of outlook for African supply is, is really as bullish as some think? Yeah, I think it is. I think because... Um, and I, I go, I tie it back into the sort of the need for more diverse supply. I think when you get this partnership between sort of China and other countries, it does tend to accelerate the supply. You know, a classic example of that is um, China partnerships in Indonesia in nickel and how that sort of really changed the the face of the nickel market. If we'd had, if we'd been talking, I was in 2018. Um, we were speaking to people and they were mainly concerned about nickel um, rather than lithium then. But that's all changed now because of that partnership between China and Indonesia and how quickly they've been able to do things. I think we're seeing the same sort of partnerships in Africa as well. Um, and I think China needs that. It needs to diversify its, um, its um, raw material base, um, as we mentioned earlier on. But yeah, I, I think... But I think all these areas are going to be needed and we're going to see wide. we're going to see other areas as well. We'll see India, we'll see Afghanistan, we'll see 
um, different um, continents and different areas coming in. And I think that's all going to be needed, but it will make it a more uh, stable place in uh, the supply base will be more stable. Uh, we won't have the sort of the long, we won't have as many of the sort of the long supply chains, uh, which as we've seen with COVID and everything else uh, can disrupt supply. So it will all help to stabilize the market, uh, which is the size of this market, where it's great going to go is needed. Um, it's going to be a, a tall order to for producers to keep up with demand. I think they can do it, but it's going to take a lot of resource from us. So with that as a, as a backdrop, Will, what is your long-term price assumption? So, yeah, we think, you know, prices for the, as I say, sort of short term, we think we're moving higher again. Um, we don't, we think the sort of the 25, 35 sort of dollar per kilogram is a sort of a comfortable range to be um, oscillating around. And I think, as I said earlier, we do expect volatility. We do expect, um, I think you get these, these destocking and new restocking cycles um, and they can happen within the year. Um, so yeah, we expect volatility, but um, not the sort of the range of whatever it was, uh, $7 <laughs> to $85, which I think I don't think the industry can survive with that either. So it's, um, it needs stability. That's my next question is a price around 30, which is my number, is something I believe that is enough to incentivize new production to come online and it's enough that the OEMs can still make a decent profit margin and a happy place to keep new supply coming on and to keep the OEMs well stocked. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I t certainly would totally agree with that. And I think within the volatility of that, when you have that volatility and when you have a futures market with sort of liquidity, um, people can do their own independent pricing. So if they're all buying and selling off a an index price, um, that you can then go and actually lock in your prices when the price suits you. So if you get, if you say the average price is going to be 30 and you do get a 22 and that suits you, then you can lock in at that to a 22 um, and that all off spaces your hedge. Um, and then you can likewise, if you're a producer and prices go up above that, uh, then you can also use the, um, the exchanges to hedge that, that risk. So we've seen quite a lot of M&A in the industry. Um... And guys doing it, I guess, um, you know, do you still see a high importance of the downstream securing both supply and price and ideally tier one jurisdictions as the, uh, as the country of supply? Yeah, I think, it, I think there is a, an awful lot of interest um, to secure um, supply, not necessarily lock in the price, um, but I think actually getting securing the supply, and again, if you have a, a lot of the a lot of the um, because of the sort of the impurities and things like that, I think there's, it makes a lot of sense to know where you're going to be getting the same sort of um, um, material. So that makes sense. Um, and I think the the really important part of M and A and and the whole of that area is the um, it, it's because this industry is growing so fast. Um, it's all the and because China has got such a sort of advantage in They've been doing it for so much longer. Um, there is a shortage of um, know-how, and I think that's M&A really helps to um, will help the sort of the supply side um, to combat some of the hurdles and the headwinds that things like lack of know-how, um, haven't done it before, experience, and things like that. So I think M&A is is going to be it's going to be helpful in enabling the producers to uh, keep up with the demand. 
Uh, talking of um, know-how, do you see a, a sort of mid to long-term risk of lithium, battery-grade lithium supply ex-China as rest of the world tries to diversify and do conversion outside of China? Is there a risk that it takes them longer and there's teething issues and so on to getting up to speed? Yes, I think that's, I think even the incumbent producers, um, when they increase, um, expand, run into issues, um, I think the more experience they have, and I think that will improve, um, but certainly, um, totally new producers, I think you have to expect that there will be a, there'll be ramp up issues and, um, it'll take time to get the, get the quality there at a steady state of production. Um, and that's all, those are all headwinds, um, that the market needs to contend with. Um, it is, and but what we're seeing is some of the producers who are, you know, in, in Asia, uh, are setting up shop in, in Europe, um, and in North America. Um, but that means that hopefully with that, that will help to reduce that amount of, um, uh, startup issues as well. Um, but yeah, I think you have to expect, um, especially, certainly, especially in lithium, it has a, quite a history of, uh, suffering. And I think you need to book that into, you need to book that into the, um, into your formulas. Are you, your thoughts on, on in, guys are looking at doing an intermediate product on, on producing a, a lithium sulfate? Yeah, no, I think that's, um, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I think we will see more of that. Um, I think it, um, ticks more sort of ESG boxes in some of the, going back to the Africa thing, you've got some really landlocked countries there, um, with thousands of kilometers of transport. I think it does make sense if you can, um, to produce a, an intermediate. Um, and I think that it won't, it will take less pressure on the transport system. Um, and I think it also, it's more environmentally friendly, potentially. Uh, to be imported into the likes of... I was about to say, my guess is somewhere like Europe, that might be a preference for them. I'd say so, yes. And uh, uh, in LinkedIn with that, Will, do you think we're going to see a bifurcation in, in pricing? Do you think we're going to have two-tier pricing? Yeah, that's a question a lot of people are asking. It's um, with the US IRA, um, if only certain material can be used uh, in... Uh, to qualify um, for the I for the um, to be compliant with the IRA, um, you it could well be that there is a premium on that material. Generally, if you talk to the consumers, there's no way they will accept it, um, which is that's always going to be the case. Um, but again, in Europe, if you're the cost of producing um, in Europe is is going to be more expensive than cost than production costs in China. So either tariffs um, or um, uh, cross-border um, uh, um, uh, changes um, leveling up. Uh, so yeah, I think in some in in one way or another, um, there will be higher prices. I think. And will just as a, a final one, one of the key things to my mind for EVs to reach the penetration levels that they need to make the difference and align with the whole clean energy etc. Is you need to have more alternatives and choices in the low to mid cost end to really make the shift because certainly in my part of the world and elsewhere, the average price of a new car and even in China would have you substantially below where it is in the US and Europe. Do you think 
that the Tesla and BYD seem to be on top of their game and some of the other producers, but th with those two, you know, if you look at what you can, what Tesla's producing for, hopefully they'll get to a, whatever they called it, a Model 2 or, or a mid-price. Do you think all of the large incumbent OEMs are on track and doing enough to be able to make a living and sell into the sort of mid to low cost end, which is the real S curve to EV adoption. Yeah, I think I think it is still early days in that sense. Um, I think you've got people looking at you know, you've obviously got sodium ion batteries, um, that's sort of one area. But I think I think in time, what we'll see is that we'll probably end up having vehicles with smaller batteries. Um, and that can happen with um, and therefore that will reduce the cost of the car. Um, but that in, to go hand in hand with that, you do need the charging infrastructure. So these things are all working in parallel. Um, and I think that's how the sort of the, the as you say, the sort of the uh, the overall cost of the vehicle can come down to make it really affordable to the mass production. Plus, in time, you're going to get more recycling coming in. So that's another sort of aspect, I think, which will help um, as well. So, yeah, I think yeah, I think we have to get there. I think we will get there. Um, but I think it will be a combination of lots of different sort of um, changes. So just if I can ask one last one, because I always have people's outrage and tweets and whatever when I put down EV sales and they say, oh, but that's plug-in hybrid with full battery. The purists are all, it's only BEVs that count 100%. But I keep trying to explain in my old hometown of Cape Town of over 4 million people, there are 30 public charges plug-in hybrids are going to clearly be an interim step till you get infrastructure up and running because a lot of the developing world's going to need another 15 at least years to do it. So do you see, you know, plug-in hybrids remaining, a, a, they're going to, will they remain an important part in the developing world? Um, absolutely. We very much see it as an intermediate step. Um, but one which will last. And what's really interesting is if you look at the, um, if you look at what's happening in China, actually. Um, so some of the vehicle numbers there, um, if you break it down, you're seeing much stronger growth in the plug-in hybrids uh, than you are in the battery-only vehicles. Uh, and a reason that is a lot of these sort of tier one and tier two and tier three cities have now are more, um, have a much larger sort of EV population. So the EV sales are now going into the lower tier cities where the infrastructure isn't so much. So even in China, um, which is leading in the sort of the whole EV race, you're seeing demand for plug-in hybrids um, uh, growing at a faster pace uh, than battery-only vehicles. And I think that's a really interesting development. Um, <coughs> excuse me. So I think that's a model we will see. Um, we will see across the, certainly across the sort of um, the less mature markets. Okay, great. Adams, thanks very much for coming back on for, we think, your fourth appearance. Great to see you. Um, and uh, I guess any last uh, surprises or anything that we have missed or should have our eye, keep our eye out for from fast market side with what's going to happen in the between now and year end in the lithium market? 
Yeah, between now and the year end, I think I, I do think we will see um, a, a slight pickup in prices. I think we will start to see a bit more of a, a restocking rally. So we've, we've covered those areas. Um, I'm not really looking at any other um, sort of areas of um, surprises, I don't think. Hopefully we can be a little bit more, the market will be a bit more cheerful. Yes, I, that's I, I, it's the way I see it. I'm surprised it's lasted this long, but there it is. There have been a couple of areas of, of supply that I've I've been dismissive of that have turned up. Uh, that's that's the missing number. But I I'm hoping uh, from uh, from your mouth to upstairs that we're going to get a restocking rally shortly. It, it looks like uh, China's trying to push some stimulus as well now. Um, so they're looking to kickstart things. Uh, hopefully uh, that. That follows through. So thanks very much, Will. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Rodney.